This is the second sermon I'm going to preach from the book of Ruth. Uh, And the title of the the series is Adversity and Redemption. Adversity and Redemption. And so if you're a guest here today, we're glad that you're here and that you're worshiping at Branches Church on this beautiful Sunday. I want to encourage you to connect with us, uh, filling out a connect card there in the back. And um, we have a gift for you whenever you do that. have a little gift bag for you. So last week, we started this sermon series out in the book of Ruth. And Ruth, the book of Ruth, if you're looking for it, it's following the book of Judges. And it's just before the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel. And if you're moving too fast through your Bible, you won't even see it there because it's really only four chapters, very short chapters. Uh, And it's a unique book in the Bible in that it's only one of two books Uh, where a woman plays a key role as a main character. And uh, it's also named for a woman, and this makes it unique. This woman, Ruth, was a Gentile. She was a Moabite woman, and because of Ruth's commitment to her mother-in-law, Naomi, a decision that led her to end up leaving her home country and leaving her people, the Moabites and Moab, and becoming a stranger in Israel, she ends up being part of the family of the lineage of King David and also the lineage of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you go and read in Matthew, her name, the name of the family there will appear. And uh, it's, it's just kind of like the Lord was saying very early on in a statement that you may be an outsider, but I have a place for you. You might be an outsider, but I can use you. I can put you into the people that are my chosen people. The key theme of the book of Ruth is one of redemption. Last week I talked about repentance, and uh, the word return is used uh, around 17 times. 15 of those are in the very first chapter, and it's really about returning to the place where Uh, they were supposed to be. They were the people of God, but because of a famine, they left. And I pointed out last week that sometimes we find ourselves in uncomfortable situations, uh, but God has ordained that uncomfortable thing in our life because he's using it. The Lord orders the steps of the righteous person, right? So the Lord uses these things, even uncomfortable. Uh, I wish I could tell everyone who says I'm I'm going to follow Jesus, and I'm going to commit my life to the Lord, and that I'm going to get baptized and receive His Spirit. I wish I could tell every person that it's just going to be an easy walk from there on out. But I hate to tell you in a little bit of a way what you're doing is you're applying a target to your back and saying, devil, come get me. And sometimes the Lord allows those attacks to get in because He sees that the attack, the outcome or the famine, the outcome of surviving the famine, is going to be in our benefit. And so thank the Lord for that. Even in the negative things, he brings something positive out of it. So Naomi and Ruth returned to Bethlehem without the ability to reclaim their family's land. Now, today we're very blessed. Uh, Ladies get to own property, get to vote do all of the things right that is expected as citizens. We really don't even think about it most of the time. Uh, But in this generation, 
in which Naomi and Ruth were in, everything was structured under the head of the household, the man, so that the man's land was the family land. The man's name represented the family. It was a very uh, patriarchal society. The father of the family kind of made decisions for the entire family. Um, And so Naomi and Ruth returned to Bethlehem, and they have no power. They have no uh, citizenship power, nothing to reclaim the family land that has been taken or has been sold from them or lost when they went to Moab. And without any power to reclaim or redeem the land, they would end up living in complete poverty. And so they were going back to a situation where they were going to be living in poverty, but God provided a way of redeeming what had been lost. And it's called the Law of the Kinsman Redeemer. And the Kinsman Redeemer stated this, that a family relative with the ability and with the means could marry the widow and pay the price to redeem the family land continuing the name of the man that had passed away. And it was a restoration process of what had been lost. And it's important to understand that within that context of society because it plays a role in understanding what Jesus Christ has done for us. Jesus Christ is our kinsman redeemer. He's the one who came to pay the price to redeem what was lost in sin in the book of Genesis. What was lost forever to sin, Jesus Christ paid the price to redeem us. Jesus was the long-awaited Savior and Redeemer of Israel and would go on to be the Redeemer and Savior of the entire world. And every year at the Feast of Pentecost, there's a celebration. It's the celebration of harvest. And the book of Ruth would be read aloud to the entire congregation to celebrate this fact of redemption, of the kinsman redeemer. And what the book of Ruth does is it connects the theme of redemption to the harvest festival of Pentecost. It connects redemption of the cross with the Acts chapter 2 experience at Pentecost. And the festival of Pentecost, it was foreshadowing the events of what would come in Acts chapter 2 and then in also Acts chapter 10. And Ruth wraps all of that up together because you have the redemption, you have a kinsman redeemer, you have a woman who is an outsider, a Gentile, that's not supposed to take part in the covenant with Israel, and she finds a place there. And what Ruth does, even before we get to the New Testament, it shows that God has had a plan for redemption of both his people and those deemed to be outsiders. And so you and I today, we're very blessed and lucky because, not lucky, we're blessed and we have been given providence by God that as Gentiles we could experience redemption. And so last week, preaching about Ruth, I preached from chapter 1 and I preached about defining decisions. The chapter opens with Ruth, or with Naomi and her husband Elimelech making a decision that they would leave the famine, they would escape the pressure of the famine and go to Moab, which apparently had a little bit better economy going on. But in the process of going there over a seven-year period, Elimelech dies, 
their two sons, Malon and Chilion, they both die. And Naomi is left husbandless and childless with two daughter-in-laws. And in the middle of the chapter, she makes the decision that she'll return to Bethlehem. She'll return to the place that they had left that was their home in the famine. And one of the daughters, Ruth, chooses to go with her. In this decision, her decision to return to the place that she was intended to be, it's a type and a foreshadowing of repentance. She repented of their decision in leaving by returning to where she should never have left. And because of her return, she and Ruth arrive in Bethlehem at the right moment. And it's always the right moment to return to the place that God has intended for you to be in. That's always the right time. But when they arrive, the end of the chapter ends with them arriving. And as they arrive, it says it is the beginning of barley harvest. And so because of their repentance, because of returning, they benefit from a harvest that they played no part in planting. They, didn't, they weren't involved in putting the seed in the ground. They weren't involved in watering the fields. They weren't involved in pulling the, the weeds out. They return at the right moment to a harvest. And so I want to tell everyone here today, if you've not repented or you've been, God's been dealing with you about repentance, and repentance is one of those things that is uh, consistent. I have to repent. Uh, Monday when I fell off that boat, I had to repent because there were words that didn't come out of my mouth, but I sure thought them. And they weren't, Lord, help. <laughs> repentance is an ongoing thing. And that I'm telling a joke, but I am being serious about repentance. Repentance plays a key role in our lives. If you've not repented, I want to call you to repentance. But today I want to preach under this title, A Stranger Among the Sheaves. Ruth chapter 2, if you want to go there, you can turn. We're going to read at Ruth 2, 2 through 3. Naomi and Ruth have returned. They're now in Bethlehem. In reality, they have to put food on the table. They have to survive. And so in verse 2, Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now, in reading this, you may get the impression that Ruth is going to the field of Boaz. She's, in a way, targeting him because he's of the family of Elimelech, but uh, that is not accurate. What is accurate is that the hymn here that is used in verse, chapter, in verse 2, let me find, go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor, is not specifically him as in Boaz. It's him as in the owner of a field that would give me the opportunity to glean. As a woman and a stranger in Israel, Ruth has no way of making a living. She can't go get a job. She's impoverished. She has no field that she owns of her own. And so 
Because she's in these financial straits, because there has to be food put on the table, because there are overwhelming odds against them, God in his law made a way that strangers and people in poverty, that they would be able to survive in any time, any time of harvest, they could survive. It's found in Leviticus 19, 9 and 10 in the law. And it gives a command for the field owner to leave the corners of the field so that they might have food to eat. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field. In other words, you're going to leave something there. You're not going to collect everything. You're not going to be greedy. You're going to leave some there. Nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, and you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So in this one command, God is making at least a provision of survival for a stranger in Israel. They may not have a part in Israel's covenant. They may not uh, be considered part of the family. They may be a foreigner and it would be hard for them in Israel to survive. But God was making a way that they could survive. They could reap from the corners of someone's field. So as a stranger, Ruth could go to the field of one who allowed her to reap in the corners. That they would allow her to go in and where they had done what God had said. They would leave some of the corners. She could go in there and reap. But you have to consider, last week I mentioned this was the time of the judges. And the time of the judges, it says that every person did what was right in their own eyes. So you have to think that there are probably a lot of field owners that didn't leave any corners. They took everything they could. And so the pressure of trying to find the right place to harvest had to be tremendous. She had to go and find a field where a, uh, an owner was leaving the corners, was not touching it. She had to go and make sure that as a foreigner, as a stranger, that she'd be welcomed there. And she's overwhelmed by the needs of life. It's survival for her and Naomi, just putting food on the table. Competition is steep. There's other people in poverty there. There's other people that are strangers who've come in and have heard about the blessings of God and the harvest, and they've come to put food on their own table. There are many people working the fields around her. And as a stranger, she does not exactly know what masters are the ones that are welcoming. She's having to go field to field to field to try and find the one that is welcoming. And as a stranger, she has no friend that can point to her and say, hey, Ruth, I found this great spot that if we go over there, we can glean a lot of grain from the master. And so verse 3 says that she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. So have in your mind this understanding, this picture of her going field to field to field to field, and she happened to come to the field owned by Boaz. She did not plan to come there. She just happened to come there. I think about my own life. There were seasons in my life where I was not looking for God. I was not looking for His will. I was not searching for Him. It was not in the front of my mind. And many of us can relate. We may not have planned to come to Jesus. We just happened 
to come. Some things in life fell in the right place and because of our desperation, because of our overwhelming needs, because of life beating us down, because of searching and going field to field to field, we happened to come to the right field. She happened to come to the right field at the right time. It's the unseen guiding hand of God which causes her to find the field of Boaz. And it's the unseen guiding hand of God which causes us to happen into the right field, the right season, at the right time. And I want you to understand that God works in that way. We don't always see what He's doing. I wish I could tell you that as a pastor, as a preacher, and I've been preaching for, well, since I was like 18 or 19, that I always knew what God was doing. I would love to be able to say that. A lot of times I have no clue what God is doing. And I often find myself walking into the field at the right moment, right time. And it's kind of like I become aware this is what God's doing. And I want to be where God is doing what God is doing. Ruth 2, 5 through 7 says, Boaz comes to the field. He greets his servants. Boaz said to his servant, who is in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, it's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. She happens upon the right field with the right master at the right time. And as she works in the field, the master of the field, the owner of the field, Boaz, the redeemer, notices her whose young woman is this well that that's that's that moabite woman she came back with naomi she's a stranger she's a foreigner but the master sees her the lord of the field takes notice of her and this is my second point today You may just happen to get into the will of God. You may be in the right season at the right time, the right moment. But the Lord sees you. The Lord sees you. You may be overwhelmed by life. The Lord sees you. You may feel like you're the stranger. The Lord sees you. You may feel like you're just surviving. The Lord sees you. You may feel like you're just working to gather to put food on the table day to day, week to week. The Lord sees you. Regardless of whatever overwhelming circumstance that has all of your attention in that moment, in that time, don't allow the enemy to deceive you. God sees you. The Lord sees right where you're at. He sees and knows the cares of your heart even before you ask them. He sees you. And Boaz said to Ruth in verse 8, You'll listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. He says, will you listen to me? 
I've got some instructions for you. I want you to do this. Will you listen to me? This is a sermon for another time, but the Lord wants to know about you and I. What's the first thing he wants to know? Will they listen? Boaz not only saw her in the field, but he was aware of all that she had done for Naomi. Ruth 2 and 11, Boaz answered and said to her, it's been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father, your mother, and the land of your birth and have come to the people you did not know before. It's my third point. Or not really third point, continuation of the second point. The Lord sees you. He also sees what others cannot see. He knows what others do not know. The thing that happens in the quiet place, in the secret place, the Lord knows that. The thing that you've prayed over and you've asked God for direction for, God knows that. That maybe even your spouse doesn't know. Psalm 33, 13 and 19 says, The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on on those who fear him on those who hope in His mercy to deliver their soul from death to keep them alive in famine. The Lord sees you. The Lord sees what you're doing. The Lord sees what you're praying. The Lord sees what you're doing. He considers your works. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 3-4, He said, But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know from your right hand what it is doing that your charitable deed may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. He sees the secret and he rewards openly. Matthew 6 and 6, But you, when you pray, go into your room. When you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. The Lord sees you and a reward is coming. The Lord will reward everything that you have been praying, that you've been asking for, that you've been doing on His behalf. The Lord sees that and He will reward it. He is a rewarding God. Look at somebody across from me and say, there's a reward on the way. Because without Ruth even knowing it, without her being aware, Boaz instructs his workers that they would intentionally leave handfuls of grain on her path. Ruth 2, 15 through 16, when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves. Do not reproach her. Also let grain from the bundles fall purposefully, purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. I remember, as a stranger, she had access to the corners of the field. But when she has the favor of the master, he says, don't keep her in the corners. Let her get among the sheaves. And whenever you take up a bundle, 
You give that bundle a little shake and you let some fall. Leave it for her that she'll collect it. She's favored by the owner of the field. Why? Why? Because he saw what others could not see. Yesterday, my wife and I ran to a store, and, you know, Saturday, it's the day I don't want to go to any stores. I pull into the parking lot, packed, right? We pull up right to the front, parking spot right in the front. And I just said to my wife, I pulled in, smiled, and I said, favor ain't fair. <laughs> and it's kind of a joke, but the reality is whenever you have the favor of the Lord, favor is not fair. Favor is not fair. And you're favored by God. The workers are saying, who's that stranger out there? Who's the person over there working? Imagine somebody that has went from field to field and now comes to the field Ruth is in, and they see her, and they say, can she do that? I mean, I could work in the corners, but I know she's a foreigner. She's a stranger. Can she be out there? No, she's got favor. Don't mess with her. Don't rebuke her. Don't reject her. You leave a little extra for her. She's favored. You know someone had to ask those young men. Do you know this stranger is in your sheaves? Do you know she's over there gleaning? Boaz said, let it fall purposefully. Put it in her way. Let her pick it up. Leave it for her that she can get it. And she ends up collecting a, a, an ephah of barley. An ephah was equal to a week's worth. And one day, she collects a week's worth. Why? Boaz saw what others could not see. And it would not be right for me to tell you about the blessings that Ruth experienced in the field of Boaz, the Redeemer, without pointing to you, pointing out to you, why she experienced such blessings. It wouldn't be right. And that's what too many people do. They just say the Lord is a blessing Lord, but they never say why. It all hinges on Ruth entering into a covenant with God. She was not even aware that she entered into a covenant relationship with God. But in Ruth, chapter 2 and 10, she asked Boaz, why do I have all this favor? She fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Verse 11, Boaz answered and said to her, it's been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how, have you, how you have left your father, your mother, and the land of your birth have come to a people whom you did not know before. I read that already, but verse 12 is what I want to point out to you. The Lord repay your work, repay all of this that you've done, this commitment that you've made, and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Notice Boaz uses very specific phrasing. He says, the Lord God of Israel, not the God of Moab, not the God of your people, the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come. 
The wings, the word wings, is a common Old Testament expression. And it refers to God's covenant of keeping and protecting the people of Israel. It's the covenant of care that he has for his people. Exodus 19 and 4 You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Psalm 61 and 4. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. Psalm 91 and 4. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. Under the wings. Ruth had entered into a covenant with the God of Israel, and Boaz recognized that she had a relationship with the God of Israel, and she was under his wings. She had placed herself strategically, whether it was knowing or unknowing, she was under the wings of the Almighty, under his covenant relationship in covenant with him. And I'll show you where it happens. It happens in Ruth 1.16. Ruth said, to her, his, she's speaking to her mother-in-law, Naomi, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you for wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people, Israel, shall be my people. Your God, my God. Ruth committed to Naomi. She committed to Naomi's people. And she committed to the Lord God of Israel. And because of her works, because of the covenant she had with God, Boaz sees what God is doing and Boaz favors her and blesses Ruth and blesses Naomi. He allowed her among the sheaves, a place unheard of for a stranger to go. He put her among the sheaves with his people and the workers let grain fall from the bundles on purpose for her so that she gained enough for a whole week's worth of living. Not just a day. She had enough that she gleaned that she could get rid of some, sell some, and put food on the table. She was blessed. And so much so was she blessed that Naomi, when she gets home, Naomi asks her, where did you go? Where have you been? Who's done this for you? Verse 19, her mother-in-law said to her, where have you gleaned today and where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. She doesn't even know who it is yet. She just knows, my goodness, look at all of this barley. Look at everything you gleaned. Where did you go work at? Who were you working for? What field were you in? She told her mother-in-law, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Because of a commitment and a covenant. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament speaks of a better covenant that we have through Jesus Christ. Hebrews 8 and 6. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises you know what a mediator is it's the person who sits between two parties tries to help them resolve their differences tries to line up the contract just right where they can meet and become one party over the contract 
Jesus Christ has mediated a better covenant. So how do I enter into this covenant? It starts with listening. It's the first thing the Lord wants from us. We must listen. We must listen to and do what His Word teaches us to do. And that's the application of the gospel of Jesus Christ to our lives. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4 says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you're saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Notice he's talking to believers. But he's saying, I preached the gospel to you. This is what I delivered to you. And this is what you need to hold to unless you, believe in vain, you believed in vain. Verse 3, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the kinsman redeemer, came to redeem you and I. He went to the cross and died. He was buried and he rose again. And his promise now is that he will fill us with his spirit, that he will make covenant with us. Well, how how do you be part of the covenant? Acts chapter 2, verse 37 and 38 is the answer. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What do I need to do now? I know I've heard the truth. I know Jesus Christ died for my sins. I know he was resurrected. What do I do? That's what they're asking. Peter said to them, Repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul writes in Romans 6, 1 through 5, he says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin, repentance, live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Remember, the gospel is the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. We die in repentance. We're buried in baptism, buried into his death, putting on his name. Therefore, we are buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. It's the gospel. It's applying it to our lives. What does it take? It takes believing. Do I believe what the Lord said? Do I believe what His Word teaches and preaches? And whenever I believe, there's only one option for me to do in my life, and that is to position myself under the covenant wing that He has extended by repenting of my sins, being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And His promise is that He will fill us with His Spirit. It's the same exact experience as the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Covenant. All of the blessings in life that come outside of that covenant, one writer said it's, it rains on the just and the unjust. It's just rain. It happens to everyone. You'll stand with me 
I, I don't want my life to just be the blessings from day to day of when it was raining and when it's not raining. I want it to be purposely. You think about the workers in the field. They purposely took and they would gather and glean the barley and then they would give it a little shake, a little extra would fall out on the ground and they would leave that for her. No one else was in there. She was a stranger among the sheaves, but she was favored by God. She was favored by the owner of the field. She was favored by Boaz because Boaz saw a covenant that she had entered into with God. Take a moment and just let the Spirit of the Lord speak to us for just a second. God, you see every person in this room. You see us. You see our works. You see our prayers late at night. You see the overwhelming things that hang over our head that are so pressing right now. God, we can get so consumed with those things that we don't think that you see us, but you see. You see. God, every person in this room, you have specific things in their life fashioning their heart individually that you want to do in their life. For some, they're at a place of having to make a decision. Am I going to pursue the world, the things of the world, or am I going to pursue righteousness and put first the kingdom of God and pursue you? For another, it may be, am I going to respond to the word of the Lord? Am I going to respond to what scripture says and get baptized in the name of Jesus Christ? For another, it may be the pursuit of receiving your promise of being filled with the Spirit, speaking in other tongues. Every one of us are in a different place, but you see us. You see us in the field. We could be a stranger, but you favor us. And you have purposefully put things in our path so that we can be favored and be blessed and be drawn closer to you. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that your spirit would speak to someone's heart today. God, that you would help us get closer. Closer to your promises in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. ask her where have you been where have you been gleaning she says in, in the field of Boaz and Naomi tells her you know Boaz that's one of our family members that, that's one who has the power to redeem us he has the power to gather back all of the things that have been lost by this family She says, you be sure you keep going back to that field. You keep going back there. 
And that's what I want to tell someone today. Maybe, maybe you haven't taken the step of being baptized in Jesus' name. You're wrestling over it. I want to encourage you, you just keep going back to the field. Keep going back into the field. Keep coming, keep being part of what God is doing. Maybe, maybe you have doubts about the reality of God filling people with his spirit speaking in other tongues. I'll tell you with certainty, certainty that he does it. He still does what his word said. Just keep going back to the field. Keep going back to the field. Don't give up in your pursuit of God. You just keep pressing. Don't let all of the overwhelming things of life, the things that try and steal our attention and take us away from what God is trying to do. Monday through Friday, it's easy to get our eyes off of the Lord. It's easy to get our eyes off of what promises He has for us. But you just keep going back to the field. Keep going back to the field. I feel such a strong witness of the Spirit here right now. I wonder if we could entertain Him. Open your heart, open your mind, open your mouth, begin to speak to Him and say, Lord, talk to me today. Where am I at? What do I need to do, God? God, I want your blessings in my life. I, I want your covenant fulfilled in my life. I want to please you. How can I find favor in your sight? In Jesus' name.